Does your left hand know what your right hand is doing? So lately it seems every week some business suffers from a bit of lack of communication, and maybe especially on the marketing side these days. Interestingly, they all seem to suffer from the same kind of juicy rationalization, which is, well, we're just too big to facilitate real-time communication, so we'll fall back on our historical process, business-as-usual, policy, doctrine to determine the actions of our employees. It's just like that wonderful scene from Cool Hand Luke, and by the way, it's the full quote from Cool Hand Luke that's important here. What we've got here is... Failure to communicate. Some men you just can't reach. So you get what we had here last week, which is the way he wants it. Well, he gets it. And I don't like it any more than you, man. Yep, in that weird way, it's just what they wanted. They get it, and they don't like it any more than we do. A leading soft drink company creates a tone-deaf advertisement out of its newly born content group. Good idea, maybe, but somebody didn't get the communication about the brand. One of the biggest airlines in the world loses hundreds of millions of dollars in stock value when they tried to make room for their employees and yanked a passenger off. They would have actually lost less money if they hired a private jet to fly those employees to their destination. Somebody needed to communicate with somebody. A shoe company sends Boston Marathon runners an email saying, You survived the Boston Marathon. Ouch. Self-inflicted communication error. A hamburger company got caught changing the Wikipedia page for its own product when it tried to have Google Home read the Wikipedia page in an innovative television ad. Somebody didn't communicate to somebody that they probably shouldn't have used the CMO's name as the editor of that page. And they all end up like Cool Hand Luke, slapped and rolled down lying at the bottom of a ravine. So we lack a culture of communication. Quite literally, with marketing on the left and the business on the right, does our left hand really know what the right hand is doing? Fun fact, by the way, the origin of that phrase comes from the Bible, Matthew 6.3. It's when Jesus actually suggests that your two hands shouldn't know what the other is doing. He says, do not let your left hand know what the right hand is doing. And in context, meaning that we shouldn't be giving charity with the motivation of public gratitude or recognition. But yeah, there's really very little gratitude or recognition when we fail to communicate. Many content and marketing teams these days are struggling with communicating their purpose and their goals in a meaningful way. In many cases, senior management, the right hand, thinks they know what marketing the left hand or the content group does, but in actuality, they really don't. It's truly ironic that those of us that are fixed with the responsibility of being the clearest communicators of value in the business can't or won't or haven't yet communicated the value of us in the business. This might be one of the most undervalued and underappreciated skills a content practitioner can have. We will do well in all of our efforts to remember that content isn't communication. Communication is an exchange of information. It requires two or more people to make happen. 
Just because you write the policy, read the corporate dictates, say the rules, publish the blog post, listen to the CEO speech about corporate value, or put the rule book on your bookshelf does not mean that communication happened. You've just given content. Communication is an exchange. It has to be received as well. Creating content is the opportunity to communicate, and sometimes we get it right, and sometimes we have a failure to do it at all. And that's the theme of our show today, content on one hand and communication on the other, and knowing that each hand, what it's doing. And now it's time for us to get on with today's content. Will you be listening? If you do, then perhaps, just perhaps, we'll communicate something cool. You ready to put your hands together? Well, then let's roll. For your listening pleasure, here's Polizzi and Rose, PR with This Old Marketing. Take it away, boys. Hello, content marketers. This is Robert Rose, and welcome to episode number 180 of PNR's This Old Marketing, recorded Sunday, April 23rd, 2017. And with me, as always, is my co-host, my colleague, my friend, and the guy who has never failed to communicate the awesomeness of content marketing, Mr. Joe Polizzi. How are you, my friend? Four, I think, is the uh, operative word for you. Well, yes. I, you know, it's, it's so strange when we have to record these things. I literally just <laughs> got out of the car from a 11-hour drive from South Carolina back to Cleveland from our golf outing. And for some ungodly reason, we decided to do the podcast at 11.30 at night p.m. And the worst thing about it is, and by the way, these are first-world problems. I'm not complaining because right. I had a fantastic time on the golf trip. I think we did, I don't know, it was over 150 holes of golf. Oh, wow. Oh, that's so, a lot yeah. of holes of we golf. We play, yeah, generally, I mean, we, we get down there, we play 18 holes, or we play nine holes, and then the next three days, we play 36 holes of golf, and uh, then we played 18 this morning, and then drove back up and uh, made it. Only got pulled over one time, so that was... <laughs> oh, no. That was... The, <laughs> they were oh, doing, no. like, it was, it was fine. They were doing, like, random checks. And I think they were looking for the Unabomber or something like that. I'm not really sure what was going on, but anyways, we that was you know you know I mean you know, you know, I was texting you and I'm like I don't know I'm gonna be like 10:45 11 right, and turn, right. turns out it was 11:15 now it's 11:30 whatever so thank you to uh, Sheriff Ben Watson uh, for uh, for pulling us over and but it was a super nice guy it was great but anyways I am I am exhausted in the car all day long. And, so you're exhausted, uh, and I'm 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 a tequila and two glasses of wine in. It's it's only eight thirty here, so it's uh, it's prime time Sunday evening for me. So this is this ought to be an interesting episode. This is going to be a humdinger. This is what the, <laughs> this that's is what, going to that's be. That's what Sheriff Watson said. Exactly. Didn't he? He said hello, hello, Polizzi brothers. This I said is, you, it's going to be a humdinger right I here. S- I, well, I, I said, do you know who I am? I have a podcast. I have a podcast with Mister Robert Rose, and he's waiting for me. Do and you I'm know going, who I am. Well, the weird, the weirdest thing about this, because you're you're flying to Chicago tomorrow, correct? I do first thing in the morning. Okay. Yeah. Well, so I mean, so I fly out. I have a seven o'clock a.m. flight, so we'll be done with this at whatever twelve fifteen. 
uh, in the morning and I'll get a couple hours of sleep and head to the airport. So, well, there you go. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's just good to be alive. It's good to be alive. Absolutely. You know what you need? <laughs> what do I need tequila? You know what you need right now no, other than tequila? You know what you need? You need a power post is Oh, what you my need. God. Thank you so much for reminding me because I certainly would have forgotten. Yes, a- yes, absolutely. Welcome to the age of power publishing. You know, with brand publishing and content distribution come several key steps to the publishing process. But the elongated process of content creation, review, scheduling, and tracking analytics can often take more time than we have. Built by marketers for marketers, PowerPost is a time-saving tool for companies who manage content for multiple brands with multiple users, whether it's a regulated industry or creative agency. With PowerPost, your team can publish from one location across all your online platforms quickly and efficiently turning your brand into a power publisher. Now, to help more brands excel at publishing, join us for a webinar called, yes, it's called The Five Pillars of Brand Publishing, From Content Planning to Conversion, and it's on May 9th. And there's two things that are significant about that, actually three. The first thing is I'm going to be on this webinar, so you need to go to cmi.media slash PNR 180, that's cmi.media slash PNR 180 to sign up for the webinar on May 9th with my good friends at, at PowerPost. And the other significant thing about uh, May 9th is that it's Billy Joel's birthday. I don't know if you knew this. I did not know that. Did I, know that, that? That is, that is a that? wonderful well, thing. Well, the reason why, so I, when I, as I grew up, one of the biggest Billy Joel fans on the face of the earth. and You and my birthday. wife. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Absolutely, we have good taste. Uh, May 9th is Billy Joel's birthday, and May 10th is my birthday. So I always was like, you know, we're we're both Tauruses. There's that, you know. I always felt that, you know, Billy's been wanting to meet me forever, but, you know, for some reason we just never (laughs) were able to hook up. Anyway, so the webinar. What is the third thing? What is the third thing? What is the third significant thing? You said there was three. There were three. Uh, oh, the one is I'm presenting. The second thing yes. is May it's 9th Billy Joel's, Billy Joel's birthday, birthday and, yeah. and May 10th is my birthday. I was just trying to get okay. my birthday in. It's really oh, I see. <laughs> it's, I just, as always, it's, it's about you. I just it's, wanted it's, to talk about me. It's really, yeah, I just yeah. wanted to. Because all three of those things, quite frankly, are about you. You know, now that I own one, two, three. Yes, absolutely, they are. <laughs> it is sort of about me. I don't know why you do this podcast. You must get so sick of it. You like get off the you get off the recording. You're like, God, are you kidding? He just loves himself so much. <laughs> Anyways, go to cmi.media slash pnr180. That's pnr180 uh, to sign up for the webinar. And thanks to our good friends at Power Post. For absolutely, and they just got a bunch possible. of they just got a bunch of money. They just got a funding. They round, did. So. Congratulations to them. That's yeah. wonderful that they got some money in the. The first thing that they wanted to do is spend money and, and uh, promote uh, their, their stuff on our podcast. So, I mean, that that's that's what, by the way, any of the technology vendors out there that you get some money, we, we would love to have you. Uh, the show I think well. that's a new rule I've heard. <laughs> I think so. When, venture, when you get venture, the first rule of venture is the very first place you spend the money is PNR sponsorship. That's I think it. that's a, it's a new rule. All we right. Have, we have to make it happen. Yes. Shall we to the news? Sure. I, you know what? You're going to have to help me along. I did the okay. best I could to to sort of uh, keep up with what's going on, but I, I've been <laughs> off the grid, and I mean off the grid. I just I only checked email just to just to see what you were going to talk about on the show. Well, 105 holes is a lot of holes. So 
we'll 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 do the best we can. Well, it was like we'll, 150, we'll, we'll, but it was fine. I know you're yeah. not a golfer. <laughs> I'm not. It, I, I could not. I could not imagine anything more miserable than walking oh, around oh, the golf gotta, course. For, I got to tell you though, it was 85 and sunny the entire time. It was well. So that's my life. That's beautiful. Southern California. Well, I don't that's get Tuesday that. for me. It's Tuesday. That's just wrong. It's like rubbing it in. All right. What do we got? What's up? Our first story comes to us courtesy of our friends at the Wall Street Journal. Um, And the headline here is Google plans ad blocker. Everybody's talking about this, but the Wall Street Journal is what we'll link to in the show notes, of course. Um, Google plans ad blocker as a feature in the new Chrome browser. Big hat tip here, by the way, which seemed to come almost simultaneously through the Twitter hashtag uh, to Jim McLeod at Jim McLeod on the Twitter, go follow Jim at Yadine Porter de Leon uh, at Porter de Leon on Twitter. Go fo- uh, follow both of those gentlemen on Twitter. Wonderful, wonderful fans and friends of the show. And thank you for sending this over. And the article opens up by saying Alphabet Inc.'s Google uh, is planning to introduce an ad blocking feature in the mobile and desktop versions of its popular Chrome web browser, according to people familiar with the company's plans. The ad blocking feature, which could be switched on by default within Chrome, would filter out certain online ad types deemed to provide bad experiences for users as they move around the web. Google could announce the feature within weeks, but is still ironing out specific details that could still decide not to move ahead with the plan, the people said. So this may be a the, the biggest non-news story ever because it's basically like, Google's trying to make up its mind. Hey, let's write a news story about it. But, uh, but I mean, here, look, I, I want to get your take, Joe, on this because... But, uh, as a as a as a marketer i look at this and i go this is yet another this is yet another sort of nail in the idea of you know this what we've been talking about for the last few shows actually which is this sort of decline of the digital ad as something where we you know where we're willing to pay a tax um, you know, on inefficiency rather than innovate into something new, which is valuable content and experiences that we're developing for customers. But the thing I find most interesting about this is that so here's here's maybe I don't know I, I don't know what the browser share is these days, but but I'm assuming Google Chrome is is second or it first says, or no, it's first. It's forty seven percent. I think the article says forty seven point five percent. U in the U S. Chrome. There you go. So it's yeah. so it's 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 number one. You have to assume that when they're thinking about blocking out ads that have quote unquote bad experiences, that they're not talking about their own ads, of course. Uh, of course. And, and of course. So of course. And so to, what I what I wonder is, is this the sort of would this then be the tipping point? Because Safari did this, you know, however long it was ago, and there wasn't there there hasn't been sort of a big wave around this so i'm kind of torn on this as i go yeah okay google's going to launch an ad blocker as a feature and you can go in and turn it on if you want to turn it on and nobody does because nobody did in safari and it's still a very small percentage of people who actually block ads but so is this non-news or is this something that is actually as significant as people are making it out? Well, I think what they're saying, if I'm reading this correctly, is is Google's making the decision whether or not they have the default to turn ads off, to, to, right. to have this function uh, working so that whatever the regulation, whatever Google sets as the standards for acceptable ads goes on. 
And so, I mean, my, my take is in this is a couple things. First of all, I just, the overriding issue of, I don't know if private is privacy is the wrong word, but the fact that Facebook and Google are monitoring what we see and what we don't see. This is this more every day. There's, I mean, this is just another nail in the coffin of, oh, okay, well, Google's got 50% of the share in the U.S. of people using that browser, and now they're going to do something else to say, here's what you should see and shouldn't see. Because it's not a thing where they're saying they're going to shut all ads off. That's not what this is. What this is is that Google's going to uh, try to create a better experience to shut off unwanted ads, which right. would be like the, the videos that play automatically or, you know, whatever um, ads that don't abide by the, the list of standards that they abide by, whatever, what, which, which I think is if you're not running <laughs> right. with Google, right. I think exactly. is, is what that is. <laughs> right. well, so, so, I mean that, so that gets, so the first thing is just, I, I just don't like the way that's going with Facebook and Google. And it seems every day we see a story. The second thing is um, this looks like to me, and even the article says this as a defense mechanism. Oh, more and more people are signing up with ad blocking tools. And so Google's finally going to have to come out and they're going to put it into Chrome and they're going to have to put it into default. And that's just the way it is. And good for Google. But we saw this company coming because they had to do it. The way that I read this first, that's the way the article comes out to me. I don't know if you read it that way. But, but the way that I looked at it was, well... This is just another way that Google's going to collect more revenue because they're starting to set their own standards for what is an acceptable ad and what is not an acceptable ad. And what that means, if now, if you're not evil about it, if you're, or if you are evil about it, you'll start to, uh, to funnel that your way from a revenue standpoint where they're going to be running more acceptable ads because they're following all their own rules and the ones that don't are all these other ad networks and too bad for them. I don't, that's the way, is that too cynical? That's the way I read it. I don't know what you, where your, your take is. Well, I, you know, it, it was funny as you were talking, I, it, it reminded me a lot of, you know, I thought, I don't remember whether it was, I was actually trying to look up as you were talking, whether it was two or three or four shows ago when we talked about, that Google and Facebook were starting to work with, um, it's not the ANA, but it's uh, it's the other one. And that's well, IAB? You're talking about? Yeah, it's the I. It's the committee with the, the that is around the IAB, basically on what makes a. It was the, you know when we talked about all of the advertisers pulling out of the adjacent ads, right, where the ads were showing up against, you know. Bad sites and you know oh like the, there was a show you know, we did about the Breitbart thing and they yeah certain exactly. people didn't want to it, run ads on that and the exactly and the boycott them. right yeah, the, the boycott, the boycott yeah. that's been going on with the, with the advertising and there and 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 we talked about this one of the you know one of the um, the associations has been putting together sort of a a set of guidelines for what this would be and I wonder if this is connected to that in some way because I'm right there with you I I, I think well. You know, I mean, not to get all comic booky here or anything, but it's like who's watching the Watchmen, right? I mean, it's you know who who is supposed to determine what is good and standardized when it comes to an advertisement? Because quite frankly, when we start looking at advertising, you know, as we've talked about on this show a lot, you know, it's not it's the placement, you know, it's what goes into the advertising, right? It, it that we could just as easily be talking about content here. And if we're going to 
if we're going to start giving Google the power to determine, okay, this is what is actually okay for us to see versus not okay for us to see, or that which is deemed a standard good ad versus non-standard good ad, well, that puts Google in a really very interesting position um, when it comes to, you know, where basically where we can spend money and and where we should spend money and, and as marketers and so well but I see get, it, I, no I it, it, that's why I'm so torn about this because I, I I get I get you know it, it you know we've talked about the open web before and and how why we believe it's such an important piece to 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 you know for marketers and and for those of us that have a love for content marketing to to really get our heads around is that is that we need for the web to be open and and for our owned media experiences to be available just like everything else but in a world where the web is Google, Facebook, Amazon and Apple then it's it's a very you know it's a, it's a place fraught for you know not good things well the the we we you're, look at the content side, for example, because we always thought that Google was sort of the overseer of third-party results and would they had this wonderful algorithm that would go out and pull in the best results and great, this is wonderful for the industry. And I'm not, and I'm, and I get it is great for marketers and and users to get information, but you and I both know, and we've talked about it on this show, they're in the game with their own content. Buying their own content to, and to let's say fill in results that they don't think are complete. Yes. Now that, by the way, that's a really good thing I think for them to do, but it inherently um, puts them in the position of playing both sides. That's right. That's and that's, right. that's I think that's what you're talking about. They're playing both sides of the ad game. They're playing both sides of the content game, and that's where we get into the whole Big Brother thing. And that's why I've had the problem with. With Facebook as well. I mean, the algorithms in for Google and Facebook are built to generate more revenue for those two companies. Of you course. could say they have good intentions, and I think they do have right. good intentions. That's but right. it doesn't. But you still have to make the point where this is an issue. So go back to the point of this article. I think it's great that they're offering this, but at the end of the day, this is going to help Google from a revenue standpoint. So you sort of have to look at it. And tilt your head a little bit and say, "Hmm, this is this is yes. interesting." I think the the two things that I think we have to make sure the listeners know is um, if you have a call to action like interstitial popover, they're trying to they're trying to squelch those out as well uh, for like uh, subscription calls to action. So that's an issue. Um, and I don't know, like even with you know, we use a, we use a, a popover at Content Marketing Institute. I don't know if this this is going to affect that. Obviously, we need to figure that out. So so that's a little bit concerning because we're trying to drive audience development, trying to draw some subscription. So so that's an issue. So just to to keep in mind that there are some things that um, that we we need to keep in, look at from a content marketing standpoint. I think the last thing that I'll say about this is all the digital. <laughs> You know, when you and I talk about these research projects that revenue is going up from a digital advertising or digital advertising spend is going up, it's going up to two, basically two companies, Google and Facebook. Right. And it's so, going up. So get out yeah. of the digital ad business. Get out of the dig- If you're in the yeah. digital ad business, get out of the digital ad business because this is a no-win scenario. 
That's right. And so. and understand that it's going up to two companies as it becomes more and more inefficient. Right? It's like it's it's like every time you walk into the shop everything is more expensive. And so you end up spending more money, but you don't end up walking out with more goods. <laughs> you know, you just you just you just spent more money in the casino. You didn't walk away with anything more. You just spent more. And it's 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 a, you know, yeah, it's a, it's a it's a very interesting thing. We we need to make sure here that, you know, Google doesn't become I'm I'm now I'm now I'm all into watchman mode, so you know, we need to make sure Google doesn't become Dr. Manhattan. Here. We took a very so. cynical view of this <laughs> well, Wall Street Journal report, yeah. if you will. So Yeah. It's a you know, that's what Chianti will do. That's 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 what it'll do. All right. Yeah. Okay. We'll right. move on to our next story here, which is actually a really interesting story um, coming to us courtesy of marketingprofs.com, our friends uh, over there at the wonderful, wonderful Marketing Profs. Hi, Anne. Hi, everybody. Um, the headline here is The Most In-Demand Marketing Skills. Uh, and the article opens up by saying, in 2017, marketers with digital skills, speaking of which, um, especially those with digital advertising and content expertise, are the most in-demand by employers, according to research from McKinley Marketing Partners. The report resort, uh, was based on data from a survey conducted in November and December of 2016 among 314 marketing professionals who work in a wide range of industries. Some 56% of respondents whose companies are looking to hire in 2017 plan to look for staff with digital marketing expertise. 35% plan to look for creative services expertise. And 27% plan to look for marketing operations expertise. Uh, then if you go download the study, then you can actually see it goes into a little bit more depth here about the kinds of things and speak specifically to those that are looking for content expertise. Um, I thought this was a pretty fascinating thing. I mean, I don't know that there's anything terribly surprising here, but it was a little bit of an affirmation of, of stuff that we've seen sort of anecdotally from all the companies we've been working with that those who can create content and that have content level of expertise and digital uh, specifically are really finding the job market very, very, very open to them. What do you think? Well, I think, yeah, I mean, if you look at right at the top, the top three are digital advertising, content creation and curation and content strategy. Yeah. So, I mean, so if you're in the content marketing industry, you're looking at this and saying this is fantastic. I think the over when I was reading through this, Robert, the the overriding thought that I had was that marketing uh, roles of all kinds, because they they list what like thirty different roles here or, or different skills that yeah. you would need. Marketing skills of all kinds are going to be in high demand for a long, long time because of the fact that there's so much product commodity out there. Commodities. So, you know, I mean, and I always go back to the quote from from Don Schultz, father of integrated marketing, that says everything can be copied today. Uh, Your competitor can create the same products and services that you can, um, no matter what industry you're in, uh, except for they it's the hardest thing that they can do. It's almost impossible to duplicate how you communicate. And that's right into marketing. So that's where all these things are so critical because the way that we're going to end up differentiating our product and service is not the product and service. It's through how we market and communicate around that and communicate to our audience. It's, 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 it's such a, it's, it's such an accurate point. And and I'll go back to this. This is something that I touched on in my keynote at, at intelligent content, which is the, you know, the, the key to understanding that is, 
that it's not looking at yourself as a facilitator of technology or a facilitator of content through the plumbing that is your company. You have to bring something to it. You have to create and synthesize and package and bring you. That's the differentiator. Not I don't mean the differentiator for your company like what Joe was just talking about. I mean the differentiator for you as an employee yep. in the marketplace. Because if you don't, if your job is ostensibly to push buttons in a marketing automation system, guess what? There's a reason it's called a marketing automation system. And guess what gets automated? It's the pushing of buttons and, and, and looking at data and facilitating of, of moving you know, assets through a pipeline. And so if you can bring you to the work, if you can bring – and that's what I see in these results here is when I look at it and I see content strategists – content marketing, content creation, digital advertising, creative operations people. I don't see people who are simply, you know, owning a number of facts or the, you know, or a specific skill set around a particular program. I can remember on my resume in, in 1996, you know, 1995, you know, one of the biggest, you know, things on my resume was, the fact that I was really, really skilled at PowerPoint and Excel and Microsoft Word, that was a thing. I mean, that was a, you, yeah. it was a real thing to be skilled. I mean, people are laughing, I'm sure, right now because it, you know, because how silly that sounds now. But that, back in the mid 90s, having true master, you know, sort of uh, qualities over the Microsoft Office was actually a skill that got you hired. Think of that today. In the idea of what we're doing with technology and marketing automation and email systems and content management systems and analytics, that will be the same level of commodity in the coming days. And so what is it you're going to bring to your job? That's what makes will will make you, you know, the top of this list in terms of differentiation to, to getting a new job. Yeah, I think it's that's a great point. Um, it's it's funny because I uh, became very good at Microsoft Access and that's how I yeah, got in. Exactly. That's how I actually oh got gosh. the job at, at Penton Media. I got into publishing because yeah. of the Microsoft suite. Exactly. Uh, so I, I could I could yeah. do Fox Pro. I could do, I could do Fox Pro back in the day and now people are going, what the hell what, is what Fox is he talking Oh, now you yeah, now you're dating yourself. <laughs> I guess the one thing when I saw yeah. this and and when you go to the article for those of you listening, there's all different types like social and email and SEO, SEM, web development. And the way that I see a lot of marketers become successful is they dive into one at the start really well. Like like you said, marketing automation. They really understand marketing automation and the different aspects of it. And then they look at all these other, other things and how they work interchangeably with each other f- to push forward a business purpose. Then you, then well, you think I, more strategically about it. that's where content strategy comes in because if you're a content strategist, see a lot of that's where people we talked about this a couple of shows ago about content marketing and content strategy and content marketing in a lot of cases people think of as the content creation and editorial and and words and pictures and that's fine but when you think about content strategy the bigger part you're thinking about oh okay well. Uh, what's my overall business goal? What am I trying to do? And then how do all these things work together? How does IT work with that? How do we need to figure out governance with that? How do we figure out, yes, the editorial words and pictures? How do we figure out automation? So you can go from being an expert in a very small area. And then as soon as you become, you know, you start really learning that, start to figure out, okay, what's the business purpose for what I'm doing? And where are all the other people 
at and what are they focused on so that you can sort of become the strategy person because the strategy people they don't get replaced that's the, right. the people that are pushing the buttons for marketing automation do get replaced, not the one that's thinking strategically. And you're always thinking, how am I driving revenue or how am I saving costs? And that's different than how am I getting this email delivered and what's the deliverability rate? That's a different conversation. That's exactly right. And it, and it, you know what it does? It, it plays right into this is a a story that we're not actually covering on this episode, but uh, it was almost uh, one that I added to the list because of you're headed to Marketo's uh, summit next week. You're speaking tomorrow, I guess. Uh, I'm, speaking- yeah, I've been leaving in like six hours. Actually, yeah. So you're so you're <laughs> speaking. So you're speaking it. And the interesting thing, and I'm going to be very interested to get your take on the summit because you know once again this year my invite got lost in the mail or something, but. Um, the CMO uh, has come out and said that Marketo is really moving in a new direction, which is to really move toward mo- more emotional experiences. Um, and they actually use that word experiences, which is why I'm so fascinated with the whole thing. But they're really moving in. There's a whole article about um, the CMO moving in this direction. And so I'm interested to see how big a role this idea of working quality storytelling and emotions and experiences into the idea of what was has traditionally been called quote unquote marketing automation plays a role in how marketo starts to dif- differentiate itself to its users and and customers so it'll be i'll be really interested to get your take on that cuz i i think that's exactly it right you you know if you're the person who simply pushes send on the email and looks at the data it's not the same as someone who's actually putting the emotion and the content and writing the great stories that go into the technology because that's the part the algorithm can't duplicate i think no it's a great point and long so i will let you know and I'm actually interested to see how close it is to what Adobe, because I was just at Adobe. Oh, of summit. course. Yeah, and they, exactly. that's what exactly what they were talking about was all that's about right. experiences. I guess my, my take uh, from this article is that uh, it, should, it should warm the heart of people in marketing because this is the golden age of marketing right now. That we're yes. in. I, I believe that. I believe Absolutely. that this is what – and you've said it for a long time where this is where uh, the discipline of marketing people start to take seriously like finance and accounting – and they're not going to gloss it over anymore. They're going to say this. This is really this is something of importance because this is how we differentiate. Getting stronger. <laughs> getting stronger. <laughs> 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 We're climbing the hill of Philadelphia. We're. I like can picture it. I'm yeah. with you. I'm with uh, you all the way, man. Okay. Anyway. Moving on, our last story uh, that we're going to cover on the show this uh, this week comes to us uh, courtesy of Quartz, one of Joe's favorite sites, um, and that's QZ.com, of course. And it is a global study of, you know, sort of on the other side of what we just talked about with Marketing Profs, which is the Global Executive Study, which is documenting the media habits of the world's smartest, busiest people, as they call it. They surveyed 1,357 executives from around the world to find out how they get news, why they share content, and how they feel about advertising. And they go on uh, to explain their results in a very cool interface, I have to say. Oh, yeah. Um, And they talk about how executives are more protective of their time than ever before and how they're looking at news first thing in the morning and that they they are actually active on social media 
um, and the different social channels they use. Anything here stand out to you as, as really interesting? There was a couple things that, that stood out to me as, as, as surprising, actually, the, from this study. What do you think? Well, I, I loved, of course, you know, I'm an email fanatic, so I love the, the information that executives are more likely to get their information from email than pretty much any other sort, than, especially from vi- more than video. Yeah. And we've been talking about the importance of email and make, getting sure your email's right and when you're building an audience. So I like that aspect of it. The one thing that I thought was great, which... <laughs> I mean, you and I have been ranting about the whole snackable content thing (laughs) and that, you know, we've got to get shorter and our videos are getting like three seconds long now because executives are busy and they don't have any time. Goldfish, goldfish, goldfish. Yeah, exactly. And what we learned from the study is that uh, executives love long-form articles, long, very long, meaty, informational articles. And more than anything else, those are the articles they share with their colleagues. By far. By far, and it's not even close. So if if you're targeting executives, and I think so so many of the people that we work with, they get just wrong information. So they're like, oh, we've got to do shorter and snackable and what? No. you don't. I mean, that's not what this data is telling us. What this data is telling us is give them something real. Give them something that they can actually, to your point, sink their teeth into. And maybe there's an opportunity there. Instead of going shorter, you can go longer, more in-depth, consistent and you know really be that provider of expert inf- information so that's what i took out of it i don't know if there was anything specifically that you found the, the, there was a couple of surprises one was the high rate of interest they had and i'm assuming they're talking mostly about native advertising here because they call it sponsored content yeah um but they uh, but 74 percent found the last piece of sponsored content they read interesting informative and valuable um which is, you know, I don't know what to make of that, quite frankly, but other than it's it's encouraging, but it's a fascinating. I would not have expected it to be that, to be that. Maybe high. that's a maybe. There's the solution for your ad blocking. Yeah, well, that's more well, sponsored. Yeah, that's sponsored exactly content. the thing, right? That's exactly it. It's this long form, in depth, high quality. You know, I mean, I'm look. I'm working with a, you know, they're speaking a content marketing world, and um, it's the it's the folks at, at, at Capital Group. I can say them, that, that, and and their blog, Capital Ideas, is is quite frankly just. I mean, what they're doing with that is just really great, and it's it's all it's you know it's it's stuff that I have no interest in at all. Quite frankly, it's like I could not be less interested in it, but I can see the value in it for those financial advisors that that would. And all of their posts, all, and especially the one of their specials that they do about you know twice a month, are just long form, in depth, wonderfully produced. You know, just interactive, great. I mean, they just you can see they put the effort into the quality instead of the quantity, and they've just really focused there. And they're, I mean, they're they've been really successful with it, but but it's just. That kind of, of of traction over sort of really just getting to the meat of what you're trying to say and and, and doing so in a long in a you know it, to me it just it, it it makes so much sense and and you know it's nice to see that data here is is proving that out. So that's the opportunity. I don't know what happened where every marketer that we seem to run into talks about how their their content has to be shorter and shorter. 
I'm, I, I, I'm yeah, well, so it's a thing, now, right? It. Yeah, it's a thing, right? I mean, now we're seeing, you know, we, we've, you know, we've had, we've had friends and colleagues sort of write on both sides of this issue, right? Well, it should be short. Well, it should be long. Well, it should be however long it needs to be. And, and, but there are a lot of people who are still out there saying, no, 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 it should be short. It should be snackable. It should be something you can digest in the next 30 seconds. And it's like, I, I you know, I find my, honestly, these days I find myself just, and this is, you know, a, a literally a focus group of one when it comes to marketing stuff. You know, I find myself much more impatient when I read a blog post that's 400 words or 300 words and basically, you know, within the first paragraph and I can see how long it is because I do a quick scroll and within the first paragraph, I'm like, oh, this isn't going anywhere. I'm just out. Right. I just I'm going to bow. I, I know what how this is going to go. And, you know, it's going to say, here's three big things and you should do all three and end. Right. And that's the end. Instead of saying, let's get into this. Let's let's really dig into this and spend two thousand twenty five hundred words and really look at this and read this. Now, I, I bookmark those throughout the week because I don't often have time to read them during the week. But I, you know, I definitely spend time on the weekend reading them and, and, and all of that. And it's 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 I just think it's I think they're more valuable. I, do. Well, I, always, I always say like when I get a question from somebody that I, I'll, I'll do a speech and they'll say, oh, well, you know, our audience is impatient and they, you know, they can't sit around and, and engage in that kind of stuff. And I'm like, y- you mean after you've been binging Game of Thrones for the yeah, last week? Exactly. Right. You, you don't have right. the patience for really good content? I mean, come That's on. That's right. So anyways. Come on. Come on. Come on, come man. On. <laughs> come on, man. That's Chris. Does he still do that? Chris Carter? Chris, yeah, he's so cool. Come on, come on man. man. Hey, Thursday, Brown Super Bowl. I yeah I I'm looking forward Cleveland to it. I'm Brown looking Super forward Bowl. to the draft. I am Thursday, looking forward to the draft. We're very excited it's, about this is the most exciting day of the year. It's, it's Christmas in Cleveland. Just so everybody knows. It's going to be a great great week. It's going to be a great great week. Well, speaking of great weeks, it is now time for your favorite part of the show, ladies and gentlemen. It is time for our rants and raves section where we go off on a little bit of a rant or a little bit of a rave that's oh, you know, really got feeling making us feel like we're just there and communicating so well or something that makes us feel like Struther Martin going, what we have here is a failure to communicate. That's not a very good Struther Martin, was it? That wasn't, that wasn't very good, was it? Anyway. I think that, I think that one more glass of wine, and I think <laughs> it would be have great. It. Yeah, it would be great. It's close. Yeah, it would be great. Um, and I, uh, I'm going first because I have this old marketing. Yes, thank God you have uh, this old marketing. So you are I, first with your <laughs> rant or I am. So this is a little bit of inside baseball, I guess, because I'm going to rave um, about one of our own articles. Um, this, I mean, speaking of, I just, you know, look, speaking of nice, good, long form content that goes into the depths of something great. This is an article that we published, uh, written by, uh, our own wonderful, inimitable, uh, Marsha Johnson, who's just fantastic. The headline is 30 habits of highly productive content teams. Um, it comes with an infographic. Um, and the blog post, and of course, we'll link to the blog post in the show notes. And, you know, for any regular listener of the show, you know, it's rare when we rave about something that, you know, that CMI has produced, but this is, it's just a great, great post. If you're looking for smart thinking around, 
Um, you know, I'm quoted, but who cares about that, right? That's not about, it's not about that. It's, but it, it, there is just, if you're trying to figure out and think through how you're scaling your team, how your, how your functional content team is actually going to scale and produce um, everything it needs to produce, this is a must read. It is just great. I mean, talking about you know establishing a process and selecting an owner and making decisions and having you know figuring out how you're going to include a, a brief with every request that you're doing and identifying business goals. It's just it's it's a it's a masterclass in a blog post and and it's just really really wonderful. So I don't have much more to say other than just go read it. It's just a fantastic post and I highly recommend it. Well, I think I love I love the post and I think when you're thinking about advanced workflow you have to start taking these things into consideration if you are a small if you're a small business this article is nice and but not truly helpful if you are if you enough. are a mid to, if if you're a mid-size enterprise and larger and you're getting into complex content teams and governance this is a jewel like you have to share this with your team. That's right. Of, that's of a good point. So that's a great point. That's where this is, and that, of course, as most of our audiences are, are on the the larger side, company wise. So um, yeah, so that's great, and the team does a great job. And we had uh, we had help from uh, the folks at uh, at Workfront and Heinz Marketing that uh, that helped on the. The, the infographic and some of the content in here. So it's really, really yeah. good stuff. So yeah, it's just very fantastic. nice. Yeah. You don't yeah. usually talk about yourself, but I, I thought know. that was it's just me. It, it was just, it, it, it was, <laughs> I was just reading. I, I it was literally one of the ones that I bookmarked during the week and went, I'm going to come back to this. And I read it over the weekend and I'm like, Holy have mercy. This is great. This is, uh, this is really, really good. So that's why I decided to make it my rave. Well, very nice. I have a, I have a quick rave, and I I wasn't on the internet this week, so I'm like, well, how am I going to get a rave, or am I I'm going to have to like look look for some? But I did have my trusty magazines with me, as I you know I had a ten hour drive there and back, and I took all my magazines and books with me, so I was able to, and I and I got this interesting one. So this was out of Ink Magazine. It's the April 2017 issue of Ink called. I said their leadership section called Walking the Talk, How to Turn a Mission Statement into Sales. And the whole thing is not necessarily relevant, but you know that I love content marketing mission statements or editorial mission statements, and I think they're fascinating. Um, and I think that every content marketing program needs one. And every oh, wait till you wait till you hear that this old marketing example. Oh, well, you're great. Gonna, you're going to, yeah. This is, we didn't even know this is the, yeah. if they're connected. But there's a couple really good points. So they're talking about overall company mission statements. And I'm coming at it from a standpoint of, oh, you're creating your own editorial or content marketing mission statement. What do you need to do? And these things align very well. So there's a couple I just wanted to go through. The first one they say is you have to make it personal. So what they're talking about is is that your mission statement needs to be completely different than anyone else's. So what I would like to say is when you create your content marketing mission statement, and by the way, if you haven't, you should, because every media company worth its salt actually creates their own editorial mission statement because you need an editorial mission statement to make sure everyone's on the same page and who the audience is and what what our differentiated point of view is going to be. So you want to make sure that everyone that creates or curates content has that in front of them at all times. So when you create this, you want to make sure that it's very personal to you. So when you go through it, 
Does it have your voice? Does this sound like you? Does it sound like your competition? If it sounds anything like it could be your competition, you probably got a problem with it. So you want to really dig deep and figure out, okay, what, what's, what's the thing that, that makes you, um, have authority for this content area? And then what about your audience and how can you make that combination personal? Um, the second point is they say stick to it even when it's hard. And, I love this because it is very difficult not to look at, you know, and you talk about that all the time, not to put the, the kitten on Facebook. You know, you always talk about the, the kitten hanging from the limb saying, baby, hang in there because you get a lot of likes on it on your Facebook page. Uh, we like to sometimes cut corners because we want to do something fun and social or some executive comes down and says, Hey, uh, I want this piece of content created and you need to go back. Every time somebody says they want something, your litmus test has to be your mission statement. Like, is it in line with your mission statement? And that's why having one is it's really hard to keep to it, but you have to stick to it because once you divert from it, you've, you've lost your soul. I think, from a content marketing standpoint. So you've got to make sure you stick to that. And the third point is use it to diffuse objections, which is sort of on what I just talked about. You're going to get people that are going to come at you from every different direction saying that you are wrong. And if you have a mission statement that everyone on your team and your executive team has agreed to, you can always go back to that. They could say, oh, why did we do this? Why did you do that? Why are you, why are you creating that content? Why are you doing, uh, why aren't you doing 15 second videos? You know, those types of things. You can always come back to the editorial mission statement and say, no, this is what we agreed to. This is our differentiated value that we're bringing to our audience. This is why we're doing it. So, I absolutely loved what, and they've got a lot of other things in this article and, and talks about asking why, not what, keeping it short, just a couple sentences. Uh, if you can't do it right, don't do it. If you can't commit to it, absolutely forget about it. We talk about that with content marketing. If, you, if you're not going to commit to it, if you're not 100% in, don't do it at all. If you're not going to be consistent with it, you might as well not even do it at all. So those types of things. So it's a really good article. I'll put the link in the show notes so everybody has it, but it's from the April 2017 issue of Inc. called Walking the Talk, How to Turn a Mission Statement into Sales. So I love go. that. It's good. That's Oh, my gosh. That's so fantastic. It's funny because it reminded me, you know, one of the things that uh, you'll remember this from the master class, what we taught in the master class was that the mission statement becomes um, the analogy I used was the old uh, Roman army uh, commander's intent, which is still used by the army today. They, they call it the commander's intent, which is a written down vision or mission statement um, that they use where the, the whole point of it was when the Roman armies would go conquer a country, you know, thousands of miles away from Rome, the general, you know, would be taking his victorious army back to Rome and would be leaving a city manager, you know, as one of his lieutenants to manage the city and wouldn't see that person for 10 years, you know, a decade. And so they would write out the commander's intent so that every time that lieutenant was making a decision, he knew that he was making a decision that was matching the philosophy or the mission statement that the commander had intended for the thing. And that's where it came from. And that's what the military uses uh, today. And it's, it's such a great sort of analogy when we think of the editorial mission statement as a means of saying no. It's, it's a means of saying this is our direction. This is our strategy. This is what we're doing. And it's why it's such an important piece of writing it down. 
you know, a lot of people come to me and I go, yeah, I get it. We have a content marketing strategy. We just didn't write it down. It's like, that's the importance of writing it down is that ability to go and point to something literally physical and say, this is what we all agreed to. This is where we're going. And this is why we're doing it. Oh, I, lo- I, I didn't hear that before. I love that. I mean, the, the, the great thing about a content marketing mission statement, it gives you the ability to say no. Yeah. And, and you, if you are a content marketer, you need the ability to say no because everyone wants content created for something. And you have to prioritize, and it helps you to prioritize and focus on your audience's needs first. So That's right. That's there right. You go. All right, you have a you have a this old marketing. I'm, I I'm, have a I really cool one actually. Okay. Yeah, is this this is a really cool one. So before, so I have been. This is this is the kind of this is the kind of marketing geek I am. Um, this weekend, when I said I was having a lovely, relaxing weekend, I actually sat. I actually sat by the pool, um, and I read. Uh, <laughs> I read old marketing magazines from 1916. Um, this is how I spend my weekend, folks, is that I spend my time reading marketing magazines from the early 1900s. Um, this was an, this is a magazine that was um, in published for, I think, about 30 years. Um, it was called Advertising and Selling. Um, and I just downloaded this off of Google. Um, and you know, it's 800 pages of stuff, um, because it's, you know, it's, it's, I don't know, it's, it's 10 years worth of, of magazines all in one big file that they scanned. Um, but I started reading this and I came across something that two things that I want to touch on, one of which I think you're going to love Joe, um, the first is this ad, and by the way, I'm, I've sort of assembled a PDF that we'll include in the show notes that'll that'll be the, the the that'll be the download here for you to to go look at this. The first is this ad, and it's an ad from uh, it's an article that's placed next to the ad that's called. Um, the ANA, which is the Association of National Advertisers, which, you know, of course, we all know the Association of uh, National Advertisers, the ANA, um, they were at this point in 1916, uh, six years old. So they had, they'd been around for six years and had just literally started the year before this a committee to look at the circulation of publishers to basically start thinking about how we would audit um, publishers for their audience size for advertisers to make sure they were getting their value out of it. And I just wanted to read you the first paragraph here because of this article, because I, I just, it, to me, it was like, wow, you know, the more things change, the more they don't. Uh, because the, the article opens up by saying, the Association of National Advertisers, uh, through its Circulation Audit Committee, uh, announces what is, in effect, a campaign against forced circulation in a news bulletin sent to the 250 members of the association recently. It urges advertisers to give greater attention to quality of the circulation and less to the quantity and all of that which publishers may be advertising. Every morning's mail brings you notices of advance in advertising rates based on increases in circulation. How do they get those subscribers, though? Sometimes it's by selling their magazines. Sometimes it's by giving away the magazine. And sometimes it's by buying the audience. And so what they were railing against, and the article goes on to rail against, is how these magazines are out there buying traffic. They're buying audiences for their magazine and then arbitraging that against the advertising rates that they were that they were actually selling against. I just thought that was fascinating Jeez. given today what we're dealing with with ad fraud and publishers buying traffic and arbitraging that against the different um, advertising. So anyway, just a, a quick side note there. 
the one that really this is the the, the actual this old marketing uh, example um, is this is so we thought content marketing world was the first ever conference on content marketing. Turns out it's not actually okay. Um, there was a conference called the so you've heard us maybe mention the term house organ before. Now, Joe, I know you know what the the, what the term house organ means, um, but for those of you in the audience who may not know, house organ was what way 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 back they used to call the internal or external facing magazine that a brand would publish, and then it became pu- custom publishing for a while, and then of course um, when this guy Joe Polizzi came along, it became content marketing. But the house organ was the uh, what they called the house magazine. Magazine. There was a conference in 1916, the House Organ Editors Conference, where all the editors from House Organs across the country from all these companies gathered for a conference. And this magazine um, published an article that will, of course, include in the show notes, basically all the roundups of the sessions that were at this conference. So all the brands that produced sessions that spoke at the conference were producing, and they and it goes through and it publishes let's see one two three four five six of the sessions and basically their case study, and so there are literally six examples of this old marketing here to to go through. Um, just a couple of them that I'll touch on here. One of them is written by the editor of the um, uh, magazine for Buick, um, who is talking about you know they. They really had a hard time selling in this idea of a magazine for customers to their CEO. But when they did it, they actually started distributing it through their distributors and they got it to uh, 7,000 or 8,000. And now they've got it up to 50,000 subscribers and they're distributing it through the local distributors. And they're making the distributors actually pay them to produce the magazine, which then goes out, and the distributors love it so much they're using it to sell extra cars. And so the way they made and their innovative quote unquote thing that they were produced that they were talking about at the conference was how they were actually monetizing the magazine and paying for the publication of it by actually adding the cost, and I love this, adding the cost of the magazine to every fifth car that the that the distributor that the dealership would buy. So every fifth car that the dealership would buy from the Buick, they had to pay for the magazine that they were getting to distribute to their customers. I just thought that was awesome. Fascinating. There's another one here from um, the advertising manager at Chalmers Motor, um, which was basically saying uh, that that they were um, – why they were actually – their session was making the employee – this was an internal magazine – making it – you know, why would they ever do this? And they're basically saying, and I love this so much. This is an actual quote, Now I'm going to read. Some people will say that if we have our employees edit our own magazine, well, they'll not put the right kind of stuff into it. And all I would say is try it out. You will be actually very surprised at the quality of material you're going to get from your own employees. It develops the latent talent in the organization in writing and producing content. Of course, the censorship rests with the editor, the person who's actually producing the magazine, but you can get extreme value out of your people if you just go in and actually ask for it. <laughs> it's just wonderful. Oh, my gosh. And, and then the last one I'll touch on, and there was, there's four other ones here that you could, you could, you could read, um, was a session on how do you get content out of your organization at all? 
And this was actually talking about how um, the article opens up by saying, the session uh, opens up by saying, in getting out a magazine for our employees, the very first thing we had to determine is, what's our editorial policy? This is the one I think you'll love very much. We had to develop an editorial mission. Who and what are we driving at? What's our business goal? What's the policy? What do we want to accomplish? We have to answer these things before we can actually put out our magazine because it needs to be able to support the business. I just thought this is just absolutely wonderful. Oh my God, and, you know, what's, what's scary is you could you could have a session on that today. We, I know we it's, much it's do. so oh, amazing. God, it's that's awesome. so great. Yeah, I so can't believe you the, found that stuff. That's it's that's the House great. Organs Editors Conference that took place in 1916. So, and a wonderful example of this old marketing. And we'll put it all in the show notes. Of oh, course. thanks for finding that. That's oh, uh, it's just I've been I've. I have been, I, I got to tell you, I have been delighting in reading this. So it, you know, the scan is not great um, from Google, but I have been delighting in this magazine. It is just so fun to read this old stuff because it's just the same stuff we've been dealing with for a hundred years. It's so amazing. I don't know if that's awesome or sad or maybe a combination of both it's a little of both yeah exactly <laughs> all right my friend uh i'm gonna probably head to bed here yeah i'm uh, gonna go 12 18 I'm, in the I'm, morning as we record this and i'm out seven o'clock flight to marketo summit so i'll keep posted on on what they're doing from experiences and you're headed to chicago I, i'm in chicago i am visiting with the lovely cisco folks at their velocity event i am teaching a uh, two-day storytelling workshop, uh, basically the same storytelling workshop I'm doing three times to their to their folks that are attending Cisco Velocity. So very much looking forward wow, to it. Wow, that's fantastic. So yeah, well, that's why you couldn't be at Marketo Summit because you were the Cisco thing. Well, so. I wouldn't have been at the Cisco Summit if I had been invited to the Marketo Summit, but I wasn't invited to the Marketo Summit, so I'm not going. I'm, I'll I'll talk to some folks. I'm sure it did get. I'm sure it got lost in the mail. All right. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that is it. Um, and it should be it, quite frankly, because Joe needs to go get his beauty sleep. Um, this is Robert Rose. We are signing off. And thank you once again um, for our episode sponsor, PowerPost, uh, for helping make this little hour of magic possible, of course. And if you like this episode, number 180, only 19 more to go, folks, until we get to that magic 200. Won't you leave us a kind review on iTunes? And if you haven't yet, do consider subscribing on iTunes or Stitcher.com. And when you leave us a review or if you subscribe, won't you hashtag us up at this old marketing on Twitter? Let us know how much uh, we'd, uh, uh, we we mean to you. And we'd love to thank you uh, in, uh, in return for that. That's how much we appreciate you as a subscriber. And of course, story ideas, story ideas, story ideas. Also hashtag us up on Twitter or send us an email, quite frankly, at this old marketing at contentinstitute.com. All the links we talked about today will be available in the show notes as we publish on Monday night. And Joe does this in his bleary eyed state uh, tomorrow and at the show post at thisoldmarketing.com on Saturdays. Remember, folks, until next week, it is your story to tell. Tell it well. We'll see you next week on This Old Marketing.
This show is part of the CMI Podcast Network. Check out all of our shows at contentmarketinginstitute.com.